0: You don't need mentors and guides, it's in you. You just need to get in a state of curiosity and openness so that you can relax and find out what's needed. And you know that yourself. And I have not seen that ever not be true. Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference. Vote with your dollars and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Balizzi.
1: Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm Karina Balizzi, an activist who is passionate about social impact and building a better, more sustainable future. Every week, I invite you to care a little bit more so that together we can all build a better, brighter future. If you haven't already, I invite you to please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen, so you're sure to discover other similar content and so you're flagged when we release new episodes. Today, I'm joined by an incredible leader in creating sustainable change, Diana Chapman. Diana has worked with over 1,000 top tier organizational leaders and executive teams. Her clients range all over the map from science tech companies like Genentech to project management companies like Asana. They value her clarity, her compassion, ferocity, and playfulness. A well-respected facilitator for the Young Presidents Organization, Diana works with forums and chapters worldwide. She has been a featured guest on top-tier podcasts, including The Tim Ferriss Show, where she even helped him get unstuck and workshop how to take radical responsibility in their nearly two-hour episode. I'll be sure to provide a link to that incredible interview in show notes. Today, Diana joins us to talk about curiosity, resolving conflict, reducing drama, and improving our human connections across beliefs and across the aisle at work and even at home. I'm confident that this episode will make you a better, more conscious person and leader. So let's get right to it. Diana,
0: welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here.
1: I love that we're both here in sunny California, only a stone's throw from one another. So at one point, we'll have to get together and meet face to face. (laughs) Now, we connected because the amazing relationship therapist, Dr. Laura Berman, who is often featured on the Dr. Oz show and who has her own show on the Oprah Winfrey Network, shared that you helped her understand when she reached her full body yes. So, that she could say no to distractions and things that might not serve the life that she wanted to build. Julie Loken, who's my co founder and co host of the Media Casters, and I talked a lot about that concept with her as she talked through how her life changed and how she's adapted since losing her son. And so, Before we get into the nitty-gritty of your work, I was really hoping we could start there because I'd love to know more about reaching a full-body yes and how it could help balance one's life, focus them, and really move them to be more impactful in their lives, creating the world that they want to create.
0: Okay, so this idea of full-body yes, I actually got this concept from Gay and Kathleen Hendricks of the Hendricks Institute. I learned this almost 25 years ago from them. And the idea is that when you're in a present state, meaning that you are open and curious, then you have access to three centers of intelligence, your IQ, your EQ, and which most of us know, emotional intelligence, and now your BQ, your instinctual or body intelligence. And so the idea is that each center has some intelligence that it brings to the table to help make a thoughtful decision. So when they work in harmony together, you get feedback from each of them that all points in what's the direction that would most serve you what's that whole body or full body yes and so and i call it whole body because most of us when we think whole body we think it's just the body itself but i'm saying a body is a head heart and gut and so teaching people to learn how to listen to these three centers has you know helps people feel much more confident And I think the center that's the most challenging for people is the gut center, the instinctual intelligence, because most of us got trained in schools and education to listen to our heads. And some of us are starting to learn the value of emotional intelligence, but that instinctual intelligence, whether the sensations in the body that say, go this way or don't go this way, that's what we're spending a lot of time with, with leaders, particularly in that area.
1: So if I'm reading this right, it's that intuition, it's that reading your gut instinct, so to speak, the thing that often you'll tell leaders, I mean, I just finished my MBA at Santa Clara University, and they're trying to give you a formula for success. And you're reading all of these different books that essentially are geared at giving you that formula. And a lot of which say, look, we're trying to remove the gut from the decision making. And I found myself often reflecting on those moments in graduate school and saying, I'm not sure this is right, because I think that sometimes you don't know what you don't know, but something doesn't feel right for a reason. And often it's that intuition that really fantastic leaders will lean back on and say something about that situation just didn't feel right. And so I walked away and it led me to this other thing that I felt better about. And they're going from feeling but they're doing so with purpose and reason, they may just not be able to cerebrally
0: identify it. Is that what we're talking about here? Exactly. I think that like a hound dog, you know, that like points and says, dig there. You know, I don't know why I can't see it. It's not intellectual, but like I have an instinct that something's down there. You know, in that case, maybe the dog is smelling something, but there also might be just a feeling state of like, I don't know why, but something go this direction or don't go this direction. And it doesn't have data to support it. And so I think those systems are correct in that I think it's true. Don't listen to your gut if you're in a contracted state. If you're in a reactive state, your gut could be in a threatened state such that it might not be the best intelligence to listen to. But when you're open and curious and really considering possibilities, I think the gut has so much information. And I, like you, have had those decisions where I said no to something and didn't know why, and then only later... Did it become obvious of of why it was so thoughtful that I didn't go that direction?
1: Well, I love the word curiosity. It's my firm belief. This is something I've talked about a few times on the podcast and even on other people's shows. Just the whole concept of curiosity is something that helps to resolve conflict, right? Like If you're able to remain curious and you're talking to somebody who has a different or opposing view from your own then you can actually have a thoughtful conversation with them without getting to this kind of fractious irritation point where you're just butting heads. And I've seen this in action many times. I'm not always able to practice it as well as I'd like, to be frank. And so that's part of the reason that I really was interested in bringing you on the show because we live in a hyperpolarized time where people are learning in a way – you know what's socially acceptable to feel like they can't necessarily talk about things that are are seen as or they feel less like they can talk about things that are seen as controversial or they come from a point of fear to even speak about their political ideologies if they work somewhere where they know most of the people might have an opposing view from their own and so even while we're now being encouraged to do things like share a little bit of our personal lives on LinkedIn as an example We're given this kind of opposing idea. So, I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about that, share your perspective, and even dive into the work that you're doing to help people kind of get over these hurdles. Okay. So, (laughs) let's
0: just talk about curiosity first. So, in my mind, curiosity is when I'm in a state, a real true state of curiosity, I feel there's an innocence in there, like I just want to learn. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just asking questions. Oh, you think that? Tell me more about why you think that. Where did you get that from? Why is that important to you? Why does that matter so much to you? What's underneath that? Like the more I'm just in this very investigative state of just, I want to learn about you. I want to learn about where'd where'd your ideas come from. I want to learn about what happened to you that has you have these ideas then I get to have, I can find some common ground and I can have some understanding that has me then be able to say, oh, it makes sense why you think the way you do. And it makes sense why you're standing for these things. And then I can use that information to start to open up a a deeper conversation about, well, here's what I care about. And here's where I wonder how we could get a uh, result in which the things that we both care about, both get met. There's got to be a way. And with curiosity, then the other thing I see is that people don't see how we all could win, that there could be a win for all. And in order to find a win for all, you have to be in a state of wonder. Mm. And a state of wonder is even beyond curious because wonder is like, I don't know. I don't know how you're going to win and I'm going to win. It's outside of my background. It's outside of, you know, whatever I can do. But if I get into a state of wonder, the question is now bigger than me. And now I'm going to listen for something outside of myself for the answer. It's not going to come from in me. And so there's curiosity, which is, I think comes more from in me of let me learn, learn, learn. And then wonder pops me out to this bigger state in which now we start getting deeply creative by collaborating with intelligence outside of my own experience to come to something altogether new and transformational.
1: Wow. Well, curiosity leading to transformation, it all makes logical sense to me. And I realize that so much of your work really centers and revolves around this idea of being conscious in those actions. Because I think sometimes we think that we are coming from a curious perspective, but really some of our thoughts are more accusational. Like, why do you think this way? As opposed to, you know, really being in that state of wonder and wanting to discover So I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and this concept of being above the line or in that more ideal state or below the
0: line and in this more reactive and kind of accusatory state. Well, first of all, I just hold the belief that everybody has positive intent, Hmm. even if they disagree with me. Even if they significantly, I believe that there's something they care about. They're not crazy, they're not stupid. There's something that matters to them. So I want to get to the heart of what matters to you Mm. so that we can support you. And hopefully your my interest in getting to care about you will support you in wanting to care back about me. Mm. And if not, that's okay. I find that I can actually change a conversation by offering up so much of a willingness to take care of the other and that it transformation happens. And to your point, most of us go to these conversations thinking I'm right, you're wrong. And so I have to be willing to argue why their point of view may be valid and really truly argue like I'm a lawyer arguing for a jury <laughs> point. And for most people, They don't want to argue the other side. They want to stay with one right. It can be very uncomfortable. I have a
1: very good example from my professional life that was just amazing. I went to ISFAL, the International Society for the Study of Fatty Acids and Lipids back in 2010. And it's offered every other year and it goes in different cities around the globe. This time it was in Maastricht in Holland, right? And so we're all there. Many of these people are omega-3 researchers. They focus their entire careers on researching the benefits of omega-3s as it relates to heart health and brain health. And they were given a full-scale debate assignment. And so some of these researchers were going to have to argue that omega-6s were actually better for heart health. And on the other side of the room would argue that omega-3s were better for something very specific. And what was really interesting was that the researchers who were put on the task of proving that omega-6s would actually benefit heart health were able to prove through the research that it was true and so it flipped everything on its head it actually spurred some new clinical trials where people were like wow okay so i had this belief but it looks like what it's turning out to be is that the dpa which is a specific omega fatty acid that can be either an omega-6 or an omega-3 is having an impact on heart health in a positive way something that we didn't really have enough data on before it suddenly became a new focal point And so I think even admitting that we might have a great argument and think that we're right today about any number of things, but only be talking from limited data set because that's our focus. And especially in a time like today where the news media we get is more entertainment driven than a whole story, (laughs) where our knowledge base is becoming more myopic. And so... I love this conversation. Obviously
0: it's getting me thinking about a lot of different things, but I want to hear more. Okay. So I often work with business teams in which there's a decision that needs to be made. And it's pretty common that half the people want to go one way and half the people want to go another. Hmm. And these days I'm working virtually most of the time, but back in the day when I was working in person, I literally would get a piece of tape and I would put the tape down in the middle of the room and I would say, okay, I want you to go stand on the side that you believe is the better way to go. Okay. Everybody on the side left that thinks we should go in direction A, argue for why you're right. And then I'd have side B, you argue for why you're right. And then I would make them physically cross the line and go step into the other side. And I'd have them both argue now from this other. And I, I said, you have to argue with the same amount of like uh, passion and gusto that you just had on the other side. And they did. And like your example, They all started to have these ahas of seeing the validation of the other side. And suddenly everybody started to go, oh, okay, we're not so right, or I should say righteous anymore about our opinions. We're starting to open up and we're starting to see the other side. And we're starting to be able to recognize there could be value either way. And so this is where I see people get stuck because if there's value either way, then how do we know what to choose? Because most of us, we're so trained to choose what's righteous. And so then we start to go, well, then what we're going to choose is what's our preference? What do we really most want? What are our core values? What are we standing for? What are the priorities? And then let's make a decision based on that. And so that's a practice I use very regularly. And I find that I just don't trust people if they're not willing to argue the other side. I don't trust that they really have all of the perspective. And so I think, especially these days, even when your whole self goes. I don't want to argue the other side. It's like I say just push on yourself to go try it out and see so that at least some openness starts to happen. You can still hold your perspective, but hopefully you're not like gripping to it anymore. You have a little more of a of a looseness on your perspective.
1: Well, what you're talking about is really inspiring their creativity too because when we're in this fixed state, we're only looking at things from a very analytical space. We're not looking at the problem creatively. And the problem is the conflict that you're in, right? And so I think about another exercise I've done from a marketing perspective, and this is just to get to the bottom of creating good messaging, right? So there's this exercise. Let's say you want to open a restaurant. Okay, great. You're going to open a restaurant. You're going to open it in the market of San Francisco. How do you create the worst possible restaurant? Just do the opposite thing of what you're trying to do. And it inspires creativity in a new way you attack a challenge from a different perspective, you might realize that there's a stumbling block in the way that you wouldn't have otherwise identified like, oh, well, this could actually be really strong value proposition for us if we solved this problem this experience that we've all hated when we go to a restaurant. And so I think there's value in that, especially if we have family members that are at opposing sides of a political spectrum and you get into a heated debate about something. If you're somebody who wants to be vaccinated and someone close to you does not, having that discussion and being in a real space about that, I mean, any number of things that we might run into in today's world. So I just think it's so very important. Now, you've also detailed something that you have spent a lot of time working on, which is the drama triangle. And the reason I'd like to transition to talking about this is because sometimes I believe we've used this terminology in my friends and family circle. We call it drama when it's self-created, as opposed to drama, like film that you might want to watch. And I think so much of the time, the arguments we get into, the things that upset us, that get under our skin, that make us feel anxious are self-created, or that we could avoid. And I want to speak specifically to people who are having trouble in a way with remaining optimistic about the impact they can make with something as big as climate activism or climate health as a whole, that type of world too, because much of my listener base is very concerned about the future of this planet and global warming. So if we can look at it from those lenses, I'd really love you
0: to talk about it. Okay. Looking at the lens of how do we stay curious around global warming? Is that right? Okay. So first of all, one of the things that I notice is the moment I start believing there's a problem with a capital P, I'm going to start to get reactive. So first of all, the moment I start saying, oh, it's a problem, global warming, I'm already stuck in the drama triangle. And what I mean by that is I now believe there's a problem and I'm right. It's a problem. And I start to blame somebody. I get on the role of the villain in the drama triangle or the persecutor, and I start blaming who's at fault. I then get in the role of victim and feeling at the effect of those people. And then I go over to the role of hero or reliever, and I start figuring out what am I going to do to save the day? And I get caught in this spin of this drama triangle. And as long as I'm in there, in which honestly, I see the majority of activists deeply in the drama triangle. I do too. That's part of why I want
1: to have this conversation. It's hard not to be judgmental about people who don't recycle or who just buy plastic items willy-nilly or who don't seem to think it's a real issue when you're evacuated from your home in Scotts Valley, as I'm sure you were a couple of years back for a whole 10 days. These things that impact many of us and when we're looking at all the facts that we see and starting to make our conclusions about that or agreeing with climate scientists and then suddenly – Everybody who thinks differently or who isn't in agreement or who doesn't want to work as hard at it becomes the enemy. And I don't think that's a healthy way to, we're not going to change the world that way. We're not going to build a healthier system. And we're certainly not going to solve climate issues if that's the lens from which we're looking. So
0: help us get out of this drama triangle, (laughs) the drama. (laughs) And then I say to them, your critical thoughts of others is a form of pollution. And now you've become the thing you're complaining about. Oh, gosh. Right. And so first and foremost, I want people to first say, I don't know if it's good or bad that we're having climate change. It looks like, you know, we have data that says things are heating up, things are cooling down over here in ways that they ought not to. We have more fires, we have droughts, et cetera. We know data says something's changing. It's debatable about who and how and why all that's changing, although there's some theories about that. But nobody knows for sure. So you've got to be willing to go, I don't know. And identities or personalities hate sitting in I don't know. Oh, my gosh, yes. We are uncomfortable because personalities secure themselves by I know. So first of all, can everybody relax into I don't know For sure. There's some data, there's some pointers, there's some things, but I don't know for sure. And then can I also sit with arguing, and this is going to sound wild, and it's going to upset some people listening right now. (laughs) Could you argue for why we should have climate change? That's a radical concept, but argue for what could serve us about having climate change. What could we learn if we get into some more challenging situations with climate change that we couldn't learn any other way? What if climate change is actually here to serve us, to help us wake up in consciousness? So again, I still prefer we take care of our beautiful planet and all the other creatures who are here. It's a big passion of mine, but I'm not right that that's the better way. I'm open to the possibility that there may be some kinds of collaborations that we all get into as a species that happen only because we get ourselves into such precarious places. So I sit with all that first and argue There's no problem here with a capital P. There's something happening and we get to learn. So that's the mindset first and foremost. So I stay open, open in my heart, open in my mind, open in my body, my breath, my muscles. I'm okay. Here's what's happening. What do we get to learn?
1: Yeah. Well, one thing I'm going to point to is from my conversation with Paul Hawken, I interviewed him on the podcast in September, just as he was releasing his book, Regeneration, Ending the Climate Crisis in One Generation. And he said, the climate is perfect. It's always in balance. Us judging it isn't going to change that. What we're talking about is reducing global warming, the effect that we've had on the planet. But I do think there's actually something to something as dramatic and global as a increase in temperature of two degrees Celsius on average to motivate people to connect in a new way to potentially equalize the amount of money that people have on a global scale to where it isn't you have the super wealthy and then a lot of everyone else and then a lower tier of society because we're going to have to tackle this together. And so it's my belief that part of the positive that will come out of the fact that it's getting hotter and the fact that there are Let's just say more intense storms than we've had in a while that we're going into a phase where instead of having a century storm, it's a once every 10 year storm to it's a once every five year storm. I mean, these are the things that we're seeing with uh, changing climate. But the other thing to keep in mind is that the climate has always changed. (laughs) And there have been periods in history, like I studied anthropology and archaeology in undergrad, and so there was a lot of geological study in that as well to try to understand and ascertain the great moments in time where we've had really fluctuating, strongly fluctuating temperatures. When the Neanderthal went extinct, as with a lot of these larger bodied mammals, we were having fluctuations in temperature in a 50-year period where a specific space could go from being temperate to subtropical to freezing. And so these fluctuations occur. And geologists think when, you know, the earth tilt wobbles too, and some other things like we don't know what we don't know, but we are always looking at the data. The fact is life will likely go on just maybe not as we know it today. And air conditioning may not be the only thing to solve how hot it gets in your home. And heating may have to change. We're going to have to look at all of it, but none of us knows everything. And I think if we stay in that space, if we get back to that curious mindset, then we can move through the drama triangle and actually have a conversation. So let's talk about the drama triangle a little bit more because You know, you have these three different spaces. And I heard you speak on another podcast where I was looking for where you might have spoken about sustainability and climate and another show. And you had mentioned actually having the three spots like stenciled out on your floor or you would move between the spaces of the drama triangle to help kind of workshop even in your own home arguments that you might get into with your partner. And it's just fascinated
0: because all of us go through this. So we actually have the cards laminated and I work with my own self and with my clients. I say, everybody ought to have laminated cards at home. And if they go physically to a job at work, and the idea is that they're on the ground. And for a long time, when I was really practicing, I had one in my set in my master bedroom, my living room and my kitchen. And whenever we would get into debate, either by myself, I'd get on the drama triangle, or maybe I'm talking to my mom on the phone. <laughs> I might talk to her while moving around on the bases or with my husband or with my kids. We would all recognize we're just caught in a nah, nah, nah in the drama triangle. We're in a reactive state and we're not available really fully to learn because we'd rather be right about something. And so Our practice was just to notice that we were doing it so that we weren't denying that and that we could just recognize and allow that there's just one in us that's scared and threatened in a drama. And so notice, allow is really important if you want to have any chance of shifting the pattern. So one of the reasons why I'm a big fan of meditation, because meditation is just, can you notice and can you allow, can you notice, can you allow? And so can you notice your reactivity in yourself and and others and allow it? then we would check to see would be willing to get off the drama triangle. And I would say the majority of the time, the answer was no. Hmm. I still find that now when I work with teams, 80% of the time people are not willing to get off the drama triangle and that's fine. It's just because there's some threat still being perceived and it doesn't feel friendly to get off that threat. So then we just go, okay, you're threatened. You're in the drama triangle, then own it. I'm committed to being right over being in connection with you. I'm committed to being right over solving this problem. I'm committed to, and then you'd have to own that and sit with that. And for most people that would kind of hit you in the gut after, you know, like, Oh, really? I'd rather be right than be close to you. Oh, that doesn't feel so good. And then that often would be the motivation for wanting to start to open up and shift.
1: Wow. Okay. So, what are the three points of the drama
0: triangle again? Sure. So, the first is the victim, and the victim is whining, and it's hard, and I don't have any power. I'm just me. Climate change, or whatever the issue is, social injustices. You know, it's that I, I'm at the effect of it. And then the villain's job is to blame. Oh, it's me. I should be better. You, you're the problem, or them. We all know who they are that's screwing this whole thing up. So, the the villain's job is to blame, and then the hero is. let me bring some temporary relief. So temporary relief to myself might be, you know what, I can't stand this anymore. I'm just going to binge out on Netflix just to check out from this whole thing. So I don't have to deal with it all or, or, you know, where's my glass of Pinot Noir or exercise or whatever I'm going to do to just go check out, or I'm going to hero you, you know, it's okay. Let's think positively. And I'm going to try to give you some temporary relief or them, Let's go start a, you know, some kind of a philanthropy and toss a bunch of money at something, you know, that we can save. And it works temporarily, but the next year they come back and they need all the same resources because nothing really shifted. Uh The reason why it doesn't shift is because the hero creates temporary relief. It's not, it doesn't reproduce a permanent solution.
1: Well, Yeah. I mean, you have me thinking about actually a couple of guests I've had on the podcast before. Lydia Kamunto-Bosire, who she's the champion behind 8B Education Investments. She is creating educational opportunities for citizens of Africa to get world-class educations at universities like Cornell and Oxford and things like that, right? And one of the things that she said in my podcast, and this was probably in my first 15 shows, I think, was when you try to create change from the outside, the solutions you come up with may not even be what's needed. And then that has been echoed in another podcast I had with Godfrey Coker, where he talked about this was a specific technology he worked to create. And the intent was to equalize access so that people living in Africa could use this particular application to access their funds on their phones and nobody wanted to use it. And it was a complete flop. And so he put all of this effort out and mean got investment really maybe was a good idea from a technological perspective for an American company, but it just didn't resonate with people in Ghana. And so even though he's trying to do something good, there, going back to his African roots in a spot that he thought really needed time, attention, and a little love in this way. It wasn't the solution they needed or wanted. And so I really do believe that we often have to look at grassroots efforts when it is something like you're wanting to fund something philanthropically, find somebody who's already doing it there, who's doing the good work, as opposed to trying to create something brand new, where you're creating a system that may just not do anything, really. This is also part of the reason I think that some of the bigger not-for-profits, like the giant NGOs, aren't able to do as much with the resources they get
0: as you might think that they should be able to do. Yeah, and first of all, if you start to look at a population as a set of victims, you're already setting yourself up for drama. Mm. You're already seeing them as less than, as not equal, not powerful, and then you're gonna create that result with them. And so the mindset here is, oh, you all are very powerful. Hmm. Answers to your issues actually live within you and my job is to help you get present and aware so that you can find those solutions and take responsibility for yourselves and how you can create what you most need and want. And so that's what conscious leadership and our work, that's our theory is, you don't need mentors and guides. It's in you. You just need to get in a state of curiosity and openness So that you can relax and find out what's needed. And you know that yourself. And I have not seen that ever not be true. And so part of what we have to do is show people they're on the drama triangle, show them they're reactive. And then one of my favorite things I have them do is, okay, you're complaining about X, Y, Z, teach me the course. How did you co-create this pattern that you're complaining about? And at first people go, I don't have anything to do with this. And I go, well, try it anyway. Teach me a course. And so everybody can, if they sit down, they'll go. So for example, let me think of a group recently where I did this with, oh, so executive team at a company is saying, everybody's complaining about having to come back to work and it's horrible. And so I say, teach me the course. How do you make sure everybody complains about leadership's lack of Empathy and compassion when asking people to come back to work. And so they go, Well, let's look. And so they can start to see, Well, I guess we did this and this and this and this. And so that's how we've created an other over in our employees thinking that we're the bad guys. So I go, Great. Now you know you had a part to play in the result you're complaining about. So now all you have to do is go do the opposite of everything you just described that you did to get here. Go do the opposite to get a new solution. And of course, They do it and something different altogether happens as a result. And so that's just my go-to all the time. Teach me a course. How have you gotten, including like, hey, people on the left, you're complaining that people on the right aren't open and curious. How have you created them not open and curious? If this is about you and not about them. So teach me a course. And if people really look, they'll start to go, oh, I can see how I have a part to play. Now, of course, there are only things that I have control over, but I have control over quite a bit. And so how have I done that such that I've created a reactivity over there? And so if I can wake up to that, now I have a new set of conditions that I could use to start to generate curiosity on the other side.
1: Yeah, and what you're talking about is the concept that you talk a lot about in your book, radical responsibility, right? Taking ownership, for the very things that you create in your environment, in your work life, in your home life. There have been a smattering of books on this subject from many different angles. One that I actually love is Extreme Ownership, written by a couple of ex-military men who really talk about what it takes to take ownership for your actions. And one of the things that I'll note for anybody that's working to ladder climb and your jobs and your life, when you take responsibility for things that happen within your department that may not have been your direct responsibility, but you have ownership over, management really likes that. (laughs) It's just generally a thing. You you take, okay, well, I could have seen this differently. I could have given different direction. I'm taking ownership for the thing that I was working to do within my team. I didn't see it as clearly because I've identified that and
0: now I'm not going to do that again. Even as simple as, um, hey, you guys, I'm sorry I'm late. Traffic was horrible. you know, And that's a victim stance consciousness. I'm at the effect of traffic instead of, Hey, y'all, I want to take responsibility for not planning ahead and thinking of traffic such that I showed up here five minutes past. And I want to see how that's impacted you all. It's a very different way to show up and claim how you're creating the results rather than being at the effect of them.
1: Love that. I just do love it. Now, let's talk for a moment about your book specifically, you co authored the 15 commitments of conscious leadership. And I just went through the quick list online, because I have not read the entire book. But it reads like a laundry list of things that I should already know to be doing, but sometimes forget to do. (laughs) So I wanted to see for a moment, if you could talk about the origin of this book, and how someone who's listening to this podcast and wants to dive deeper could use it to improve
0: their consciousness as it relates to their their work and home lives, not just work lives. Okay, great. So I came from this background of how do we end drama? And I love your new word now, drama inside of me and drama around me. And so we have this model that we learned from Gay and Kathleen Hendricks, which is not unique to them, called Above and Below the Line. And the line just basically represents the distinguished state between I'm open, curious, and wanting to learn versus I'm closed, reactive, and wanting to defend. And so in any given moment, we're all either above the line or below the line, and we're actually wired to go below the line pretty often. It's part of our DNA to get reactive and try to survive. And so Jim, Kaylee, and I were all working with YPO, which Young Presidents Organization of Top Leaders Around the Globe, and we were teaching this model, and they loved it. And they loved really starting to look at themselves and to see, am I above or below the line? But one of the questions they asked was, how do you really know you're above the line versus below the line? That kept coming up over and over again. And where can we read about it? And we didn't have any place to point to. So we decided let's distinguish the difference between these things. And so we ended up coming up with 15 different distinguishing things, which we felt like was a lot And we tried to see if we could condense it, but we felt like each one had a certain very particular nuance that was important to capture. And so the 15 commitments really are defining what are these 15 unique ways you need to be in order to be able to be fully in a present state where you can open and learn and grow and permanently solve your issues. So that's what the book's all about.
1: Permanently solve one's issues. I hope to be able to solve them by the time I move off this mortal coil. And I, <laughs> I think I'm going to have to read your book cover to cover because everything that I have heard in listening to your podcast with Tim Ferriss or the many other individuals that have brought you on to their shows to tell your story rings just blatantly true. Now, As far as doing something like implementing that drama triangle in one's own home, if somebody wanted to do that, how would you advise them to do that? What does that look like if they wanted to try it out, workshop it in their own space?
0: Okay. So first of all, I would just say, get educated and learn more about exactly the distinctions between each of these bases or roles in the drama triangle. And we have a fantastic resource page on our website with lots of content on this topic. You can go access for free. There are Google drama triangle, and you'll learn more about it because it's a model that's out there by Stephen Cartman. He was the originator of this model. Thank you for Stephen for that. And so get informed, then print out some of these pages. And we have the printouts you can do again on our website. We also sell the drama triangle on our website if you want to buy a set. And you're going to put them on the ground. And one of the things we want people to do is we want you to physically move your body around on the drama triangle and ideally, we want you to ham it up, make it like a soap opera, you know, climate change, oh God, and like really be exaggerated and, and take your body into the physical formation of what's it like to be a victim and then a hero and then the villain. And so that you get to see, oh, I'm in this pattern and keep talking about your issue as, as you're dealing with it. And what people discover is... That they kind of move around. We call it a dance. Everybody has a unique dance they do in the drama triangle. We all have usually a unique place. We enter into the triangle. And we have a unique way we move around the bases and that doesn't change that much based on the content or it's a pretty similar pattern. So we want people to see their pattern. And then what they see is they kind of have a certain way they move around the bases and then it pauses and then it just repeats again. And the big aha comes in when you do that, you realize, Oh, oh, as long as I'm dealing with the issue from here, I can't get out of the cycle. Right. You're talking in circles. It's the same thing. And then, you know, what often people do is they double down. Well, maybe if I try harder, you know, and I'm more critical, (laughs) they just realize like it's still the same result. And so then you get the big aha of, okay, this isn't going to get me any place new. Right. Maybe I'm still not willing to get out of here. (laughs) because I'd still rather be right. But now I'm going to realize I cannot be the solution yet.
1: Well, I think that you're bringing something else in to this whole exercise, too, when you talk about doing it as dramatically as possible, because now it goes to the point of almost being satire or comedy. And when you get people laughing, you break down their inhibitions in a way. And I think that actually helps to solve some of the argument. It brings you out of the drama because you're moving into a different state of being.
0: The more not funny your situation is, the more committed you are to drama. Mm -hmm. So to your point, we got to make this a little funny. So when we exaggerate our pattern, it starts to go, oh God, I'm kind of adorable. This is kind of funny. And now (sighs) a little more available for a possible solution. And that lightheartedness is actually a place where I can start to access new knowledge. So that's one of the reasons why we have people exaggerate it. The other reason why is we want people to start to see their personas.
1: Mm.
0: It's really important because a lot of activists have a very exaggerated hero persona. And so that persona is like, dun, 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 I'm here to save the day. And it's part of the identity has set this persona up to be able to be seen as valuable. And so the persona actually is invested in keeping the drama going so that the persona can keep being in charge so that we can think like that we're valuable. And this, I think, is the thing that's one of the most challenging things for activists to wake up to and face, because it's like, whoa, if I'm not that hero, if I'm not that, then who am I and where does my value come from? And now we have a bigger piece of work to do which is to really start to source approval from within instead of needing a drama to come and prove your worth. So what
1: you're talking about here too is a bit the ego, right? You get invested in it so much that you just can't see clearly anymore. You can't even stay curious because you're so invested in this idea of yourself being
0: one thing. Yes. And while I am so grateful for the hearts of activists and the values they stand for. I find that the most challenging people to work with around helping them relax their ego are activists over everybody else by a long shot in my work. (laughs) I say to all you activists, like you're wonderful and you're caught in a pattern that most of you can't see. And you're actually keeping the problem going, you're not the solution as long as your ego is driving this pattern.
1: See, I might have to stare at my own belly button as you say this thing, because what did I call my podcast, right? I mean, it's an invitation to ask people to care a little bit more so we can all create a better world. I mean, that sounds a lot like it's hero driven, right? Like the
0: whole brand in a way. Well, I would say the brand can be above the line, meaning care more, be better. Hey, why not? but then we could also argue maybe you shouldn't care more maybe you don't need to be better could be at least <laughs> right i created a uh,
1: show art i was going to do an april fools podcast called care less be worse <laughs> and so i had an intern i was working with create show art around that and it was basically like this dark cloudy you know earth symbol on fire and it was going to be the reverse of what my show typically is and I loved it but I just didn't actually get around to recording it so maybe next April 1st
0: well if you'll know me you'll know I'm a huge April Fool's prankster so I'm all for that but it's (laughs) an argument for why we should care less and why we should be worse I actually find that there could be some people who'd be happier if they stopped caring so much Mm. that their unhappiness is polluting us (laughs) So like, I can argue the opposite. So that doesn't mean though, that we're not going to still say, hey, care more, be better because that's an option too. We're not righteous about that. We can argue the other side, but that this is something that you care about. So you could bring this. So activism can be done from above the line. Activism can be done from a state of presence. So I'm all for activism. I just want to say, can we wake up to how we get caught in these unconscious patterns that we don't even know that we're in?
1: Right. And this is part of the reason in a future podcast, I'm actually going to be bringing on somebody who's from a long line of Republicans. And we're going to have an open discourse about how to really connect across the aisle, because I'm from a long line of Democrats, so to speak. And, you know, I identify as that, but it doesn't mean I always agree. Like, that's a reality, too. I'm still a thinking person. And There are some things that are endemic to the party that I don't like. I would prefer that are more progressive in other arenas where I'm like, you know, I think a more conservative approach here would be good too. But I also don't like how the language has been co-opted because I love language. And I think conservative notion doesn't need to just mean like a fiscal conservative or a political conservative the same way that progressive shouldn't just mean As far left as possible. It just means that you're looking at how a culture, a people, a system, a society can progress, which can be a very positive thing. And I think when we get so myopically focused, we don't even think about what the words mean anymore. And we end up just butting heads, even though we might actually
0: agree. I have the gift of actually being raised Republican and in Indiana of a very Republican state. And then, you know, finding my own way to a much more of a a liberal perspective out here in California. So I have a certain perspective on how I see this. I see Republicans like dad, the Republican values are like dad's values, archetypal dad, masculine values, which is like, we need to empower them to do their own thing. We need to be responsible. We need to protect ourselves. We need to do a certain <laughs> kind of life, right? And then mom over there in the Democratic Party, like, wait, we need to make your sure people. We need to make sure that everybody's being cared for. We need to be relational. We need to not be so aggressive. And so there's like these, I see it kind of like polarities, right, in reality, that are super thoughtful. And so they're not off. And if they honor that each side of the polarity is bringing a slightly different perspective, but that they come together. And if they honor each other's stands equally, then they come up with something really beautiful. And so that's how I'm I'm looking. It's like mom and dad are just fighting. All the time.
1: Yeah. And when can it stop? Like, why can't we just get along? I find this so frustrating because I really do believe more often than not, we actually agree, but you've got one side with one agenda, another side with another, and they're just sitting there with their hands on their hips and going,
0: no. Exactly. So then my next piece is, okay, so how am I just like them? Analities in myself that don't value each other in which they're fighting and dismissing one another's needs and wants in a way that then I'm just, my micro here is just like the macro. Mm -hmm. The things I'm asking all of us to do as activists and otherwise is to say, can I go see how I'm still dismissing certain sides of the polarities in myself? So for example, what I'm working on right now is the one who wants to just rest and be in me and the one who wants to really push and be more impactful. And there's a tension between those two. Mm. So And I can feel in my personality, I'll dismiss the one who wants to rest and be and make that one less valid. And so now I've got a war in myself. Now I am the thing I'm complaining about out there. So I'm going to go deep work in myself around seeing both sides equally, standing for the value of each, and then having those parts come together to collaborate, to go, what's something that we're going to create together that's regenerative? sustainable and values both sides of this polarity. And so I think, you know, you hear a lot of leaders say, hey, you want to change the world, look inside yourself. And I'm a big fan of that. I do think there's a lot out there that people are going, can you believe, you know, they're polluting. And I go, well, I'm polluting all the time in my head. I say critical things toward myself. That's pollution. I am that, you know, there's nothing out there that I am not. And so can I own that in me? Can I love and accept that in me so that I can love and accept why that happens out there? Because if I can't love and accept it here and there, I won't be part of the solution. Preach.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you, Diana, so much. We've come to that point in the conversation where I like to ask my guests a closing question, which is simply... If there's a question I haven't asked that you wish I had, what would it be?
0: And if you have one, you could ask and answer it. Hmm. I think the one question I'd say is, what else creates this drama? Why are we all in so much drama? And I think the answer is that there's a big unwillingness to feel heartbreak. Mm. And so one of the things that I'm really standing for is, can we all just pause and feel? And particularly feel this like ache in our chest that most of us are trying so hard to get away from. So that if i can feel my heartbreak and really be with that the chances of me being able to then get off the drama triangle are significantly higher so that's one place i would say i have a practice called morning tears where i find something to cry about every morning Oh, wow find something to be heartbroken about and i did it this morning somebody posted i'm going to cry somebody posted the pictures of the 10 people who were killed in uh, was it pennsylvania oh god yeah and i just looked at their faces and just felt my heart just break with these beautiful souls having been murdered in their grocery store. And, uh, you know, just let myself, ouch, ouch. So if people can't do that, if you can't drop in and let yourself feel, then you're going to get on the drama triangle to try to punish or whatever, instead of we are humans and we do really awful things. And we forget who we are. And we, you know, it's what we do and it's what we always do. And we likely always will on some level. And can we just let our hearts break about that? So resting in discomfort
1: and understanding too, that like life doesn't come without pain. So we have to work through it and honor it and not just kind of mask it, cover it up, charge on, because if we're charging on, we're certainly going to be in that what do you call it? Kind of a fixed state and the drama triangle will feel like home, right? Exactly.
0: We'll be reactive instead of responsive. Gosh.
1: Yeah. I think so many of us, it's like we struggle not to feel right. Because feeling, if I have to go on feeling all of the barrage of these onslaughts from what's happening in Ukraine to these tragedies, like what just occurred in Pennsylvania, you, you get to this sense of overwhelm too. But if we don't acknowledge our emotions and our feelings, then all we're going to do is build this hardened shell exterior that doesn't let anything else in. Right. so that's what you're getting at.
0: Right. Exactly. And then to your point, I have to be careful. I, I also need to put my attention on the beauty that's here. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. I'm not over-focusing in any direction, but I'm being honest that it's the clarity here and it's as beautiful as it is painful.
1: That's wonderful. Now, If there was one thought you'd like to leave our audience with, what might it be?
0: One of my other morning practices is I get up in the morning, I just go. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just let it be okay to be me with all of my flaws and all of my beauty? And can I accept this character that I am? And I think my ability to Make impact and change out there has a direct result for how much I'm willing to really love and accept what's in me. So that's another just one of my things I would say is just wake up and love on yourself for a minute.
1: Now, one of the interesting things I'm taking away from this conversation today is that, you know, there's value in physically moving through something like that drama triangle, or even physically kissing yourself like I would kiss my four year old who's coming to my bed to say good morning. It's the kinetic work of it actually brings value and makes something more real. So I love that. I feel like I've just been given a gift. Thank you. You're so welcome. I'm a big fan of the kinetic, so. (laughs) Well, thank you, Diana, for your hard work and for joining us today. My great pleasure. And thank you for this work and for all of you listening. I thank you for your hearts. Great. I'll be sure to include links to Diana's website, which is conscious.is. Show notes, transcripts, all of this will be on my website, including the video interview. Just visit com. Now, as we close today's show, I want to invite you again to lean into discovery. Stay curious, ask questions. Doing this very thing will ensure that you continue to grow and create that better, more just world in your home and in your environment around you. If you've enjoyed today's episode, I'd encourage you to subscribe so you're sure to be notified each time that we release a new interview episode, and even the solo episodes where I dive deep into a subject. I know they don't always come, but they are a bonus from time to time. And if you'll do me the huge favor of rating and reviewing wherever you listen, that certainly helps us reach more people so more people can discover this content. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community because together we really can do so much more. We can care more and we can be better. We can even regenerate earth. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.